0: National fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. Radio National recommends listening by an immature audience. Are you ready? Tonight, after Chinese hackers steal the blueprints for the new ASIO building, China replied, "What's the big deal? A landlord should always have a copy." <laughs> Which phone is the best phone for recording racist rants on public transport? <laughs> and we interview journalist and broadcaster Hamish MacDonald about his new show, The Truth Is, He's Too Handsome for Radio. That's tonight on Rational Fair! Welcome to Irrational Fear, the show with more talking points than Joel Fitzgibbon. Uh, It's going to be great. Uh, Later on, I'll be waiting through the internet cesspool uh, with the best reactions to the news that a certain redhead is returning to politics. But before that, please welcome our fear mongers for tonight. Chris Taylor, what will you be spreading us tonight
5: i'm uh, going to be looking at this new fad of people throwing sandwiches at our prime minister and 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 asking why the new south wales blues skipper paul gallon was so off-trend by using his fists instead of just hurling a pastrami bagel
0: <laughs>
3: lewis Alba, you're looking a bit off color yeah i am looking a bit off color i'm going to be talking about racism tonight because i think that uh, over the whole discourse of this racism issue the views of a middle-class white male have been very hard to find <laughs>
0: Alice Fraser, uh, how do you make new friends?
1: I hang out at my local financial institutions and wait for interest rates to rise, (laughs) if you know what I mean.
6: (laughs) Yes, we do. And Cameron James, is beauty skin deep? When it comes to Ryan Gosling, beauty is so much deeper than skin, Damn, There's his perfect bone structure, his muscle definition, and I guess underneath all that, some kind of personality, maybe?
4: Very good. And Tom Ballard, who are you resurrecting? Uh, Pauline Hanson, she is back, she's back. Her new slogan is the redhead you can trust. Which co- uh, coincidentally, that was actually also her nickname in prison. So there you go.
0: <laughs> A rational fear, more personalities than Amanda
4: Bynes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: But more important matters first. Shocking news today that the ABC is going to end production of the iconic kids' TV show, Bananas in Pyjamas, one month before they turn 21. Oh, no. Now, even though they rate well and they're on air in 130 countries, apparently they don't generate enough in merchandise sales to warrant keeping the series afloat. So, fear mongers, is this epidemic... Uh, is this endemic, rather, of the uh, of the nutritional crisis hitting our kids? Uh, why, have, why have kids across the world lost their appetite? Appetite for bananas in pyjamas?
3: I think the the bananas have matured. Um, and I I think they're ready to make an adult switch. I think they're ready to, to do what they have always destined to, which is go to SBS and turn adult. Just relax, unwind and um, unpeel. I would love to see them unpeel.
6: That would be fucking hot. Especially the little black bits.
3: And that would be great for merchandise too. Then you could use bananas in pyjamas as like... Um, teaching aids in schools, like putting bananas down the bananas in pajamas,
0: like condoms down them? I see what you're saying. I can imagine the, uh, the intro to that show. The following program may contain potassium. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. I, I blame the church this. I think, uh, I think they've made anything phallically shaped much less desirable for children, and... <laughs> And there's an economic issue, I think, behind all this too. Ever since the uh, the Queensland floods, we all know uh, bananas have been very expensive and it's just simply too expensive to trade them overseas anymore. Do you think maybe like mandarins in pajamas would be more affordable Kunkwots. for the ABC? I'd yeah. be, yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think Durians. it's an IP merchandising issue because it's just so easy to get banana shaped merchandising from any fruit store <laughs> <laughs> stealing the market. It's piracy. That's what's happening.
0: <laughs> now it's interesting to know that merchandising was keeping the show to air. What other TV shows on the ABC, or otherwise, do you think uh, should 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 get merchandising happening? Do you
6: remember oh, that show Satisfaction on Foxtel? Oh yes,
0: no, no, no. <laughs> you think prostitutes? Uh, well, should be...
6: look, there's a gap just in you the and market. Craig Thompson watched that. <laughs> <laughs> <don't they? laughs> we had a great time watching it. I've always thought.
5: Um, Media Watch had enormous... Uh, emerging, like, uh, Jonathan Holmes' action figurine. You could just have this person sitting... You can put him this person sitting smugly anywhere and you pull the string in his back and just a, an arched eyebrow raises quite drolly when he makes a weak pun. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I could just hear.
0: Mm, indeed,
4: <laughs> that's, that's what I imagine. That's what I. I think Mids- Midsummer Mur- Murders would uh, do well with, like, my parents. Like, you, that you just buy my parents sitting in the lounge room with you, enjoying the show, <laughs> <laughs> going, "Oh, that's how they did it." You know, they're always always confuse those guys. <laughs>
0: Um, maybe uh, Celebrity Splash could see a second season if only I could buy an Adam Richard doll that would be good uh, that's, uh, that's yeah. a good reference for anyone who watched Celebrity Splash so
1: no one <laughs> watched Celebrity Splash they, yeah,
0: no one watched Celebrity Splash now uh, unfortunately a regular fixture of our TV screen Sir David Attenborough had to cancel his recent tour to Australia because he had to undergo urgent heart surgery to get a pacemaker installed everything's going well though doctors say he's doing very well in fact he handled the procedure so well, he even did commentary of his own heart surgery.
5: In the teeming heart of this urban jungle, a pride of surgeons scout for prey. Soon, they are closing in on their unassuming patient. Their fear, palpable, as they prepare to cut open a man who helped shape their childhood sense of wonder. And the hunt begins. Secured to the table, I am powerless to escape. Their implements are designed perfectly for this task. Wielding sharp scalpels that can easily pierce the flesh of their prey. Alerted to my presence, next few seconds are crucial. I must lie perfectly still and quiet. Count to ten, David. Ten, Nine. Eight.
0: Welcome Corruption russian oh. fear ladies and gentlemen alice fraser yeah!
1: i want banks to stop trying to be my friends is it me or does every advertisement for a bank now 90% involve the bank desperately scrabbling its image away from the very idea of being a bank. Hey, we're not like other banks. We don't wear suits, we all wear onesies. Whoa, we're on your side. (laughs) Our spokesperson is a puppet horse. We don't even have security guards. We have a ball pit and an obstacle course to get into our vaults. (laughs) Every bank is offering services in this weird, creepily, intimate, friendly way, like they want to fool you into thinking they're not really a bank. In one big bank, tellers are now called listeners. (laughs) There's a campaign offering financial services with the catchphrase the big banks will hate it. ComBank's new app is called Kaching. It's so <laughs> hipster friendly. It's almost like they're a pal who wants to, to buy you a latte and they're not actually responsible for managing all the money you have in the world. Kaching, money's so cute and cartoony, like those dollar signs in the eyes of Scrooge McDuck. The desperate scrabble of consumer competition isn't soul-destroying at all. Kaching, it's a phone app. It's disingenuous and weak Sure you're a bank We know banks are all greasy moustache twirling sadists So you're like a bank but you're not really like a bank Let's go lawn bowling and then do ironic karaoke Stop trampling one another like rats leaving a sinking ship Sure you guys took a PR hit with the GFC That whole immoral reckless betrayal of your consumers over about 10 years thing But sack up, stand your ground, take it on your chin It's not like you got arrested or punished in any way Band together and put some effort into rehabilitating the PR of the banking industry as a whole because this desperate facade of being a bank that isn't a bank makes you look like an 80-year-old man in a toupee. Everyone knows the truth and they respect you less for pretending. I don't want a bank to be my friend, I want a bank to be a bank. I don't trust my friends with my money. Not because they're not trustworthy, but because they're not a giant institution with a strong economic imperative that revolves entirely around preserving my money. I don't catch up with my friends for a cheeky cup of tea and a mortgage repayment that would be insane don't respond to my fear about your failed corporate ethics with a promise to be friendly i don't want a cheese plate and a hug i want you to work on incentivizing integrity in your high level employees i want you to run your business with the kind of moral guidelines that constitute best business practice and reliable long-term fiscal responsibility i really don't care if you remember my birthday and it's not just banks, every business in the world is trying to be my friend. I had a toilet cleaning product the other day ask me if I wanted to like its Facebook page. <laughs> PR manuals all around the world are telling companies that they need to have personalities. They can't just be a product. They have to pretend to have a life outside their work. You're a range of biscuits. You don't have a personality. Doesn't make you more delicious that my preferred brand of snacks fictionally likes rock climbing on the weekends and is a fan of cat memes. <laughs> It's not their problem, actually. Of course they're hitting us on social media. It's a cheap way to get a brand in our faces, and if you can pull off the sleight of brain to make someone feel a genuine sentimental attachment to toilet tissue, more power to you. You're doing your job damn well. It's not the biscuits' fault, it's ours. I'm not trying to avoid responsibility here. I'm not a bank. (laughs) The reason they can get away with insinuating themselves themselves into our social lives like box-ticking, cat-meming parasites is that our representation of friendship has become so shallow and facile that it can be hollowly replicated by cynical PR robots without any discernible difference in quality or execution. Are you really performing an act of friendship by sharing a meme with your coworker? When you like a status, are you making an apology, a sexual advance? Do you just agree with their opinion on the unreliability of City Rail? You don't have nuance on the internet. If someone pokes me on Facebook, I don't know if they have sweaty fingers. And that is important information. We're building a generation of people who communicate more on screens than they do face-to-face and through automated channels stripped of nuance, but that's no excuse for us to accept a friendship request from a kitchen sponge. It's also no excuse for banks to prey on our weird collective social Aspergers and perform artificial friendship through quirky fonts and pictures of out of focus dirty denim. Now I have to go. I have a hot date with a rising interest rate. If you know what I mean. <laughs>
0: Alex Fraser.
5: So you like the banks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Lewis Hobart, would you choose a bank uh, where you had to deal with a listener, not a teller? I'd prefer a giver. Um,
3: No, I I like the idea of a listener, but I want to see what happens when old people catch on to that. Like, hi, I'm a listener. Oh good, because someone's moved my bin again.
5: Could you, do, could you sort of have ATMs and make it like stand for attentive therapist machine <laughs> where people just put a couch
0: outside them in the wall and talk with all their financial woes?
5: Yeah, yeah, ATM, be, be a tender
1: massage. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Camera James, if you had to write a slogan for a bank, like an honest slogan, what would, you, what, would you, what would you brand a bank?
6: I would probably just have a dollar sign and a sad face and a thumbs down emoticon. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Banks, fuck you! <laughs> banks, when we have a holiday, so do you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: or at least we don't have that fucking guy
5: from the Mentalist on our ads. <laughs> right, right. One of the banks did, of course. People forget this. One of the banks did, of course, have a very uh, honest slogan. Uh, recently, the Commonwealth Bank had uh, "Can't," uh, which, which was only one letter away from honesty. I felt.
0: a <laughs> <laughs> rational fear now with lower interest rates than ever before. <laughs> I'm Tom Waterhouse. I know what punters want. They want me to go fuck myself. So this is just an ad to let you know there'll be less of me. I'm Tom Waterhouse.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bauer! Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Friends, this week Pauline Hanson officially announced that she would be returning to federal politics by running for a seat in the New South Wales Senate, to which the rest of Australia replied, here we go again! <laughs> wow, a few fans in. You were you not going to like this. This will be Miss Hansen's seventh attempt to gain re-election since she lost her federal seat of Oxley in 1998, clearly trying to prove that seventh times the charm, having already disproved, second time round, third time lucky, fourth one could work, maybe on the fifth, and hopefully by the sixth time, everyone will be a bit more racist. <laughs> we heard some staring rhetoric from Pauline on Monday. She began a press conference by saying, to me, it's a very exciting announcement that I'd like to announce. <laughs> Which is great, because it's all very well having an exciting announcement, but ideally one really needs to follow through and actually announce it. Perhaps that's where Pauline has previously been going wrong in her political career. All this time she's been losing elections, simply because she was forgetting to announce announcements. Like, you know, policies. Well, that's changed in 2013. Hanson has reconciled her differences with the One Nation Party, which is great, she's always been about reconciliation. She's reconciled... Hello, is this...? Okay, tough crowd. (laughs) She's reconciled with One Nation and she's here to talk about the issues. On Monday, Pauline told us that ordinary Australians are struggling because the cost of living has become unaffordable. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the cost of living has become unaffordable. The only fiscally responsible option is death. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly considering killing myself just to save on rent. Pauline went on appealing to us Let us not forget about our children she said Which was handy because I had completely forgotten about my children And thankfully I remembered that I didn't have any That if I did have children I would kill them immediately Because the cost of living has become unaffordable Kill them and, of course, we got some classic Primo Hansen when she told us Australia needs a government who can stamp out the influx of illegal immigrants swamping our shores. But, Pauline, our government's already taking care of that. This week, there's a bill before the parliament to change the lyrics of the second verse of the national anthem. For those who've come across the seas, our shores are no longer part of the migration zone. With courage, let us all combine. And by all, we mean those within the decreed migration zone. Advance Australia very slowly. (laughs) Pauline Hanson's address on Monday came home uh, strong with some really soaring platitudes. She told us that we must stand back and be counted. To stand back and do nothing is not the answer. Now, sure, everyone from Bob Marley to JFK went with stand up and be counted, but not Pauline! She's not like all those others, man. She's different. She wants to stand back and be counted. (laughs) As difficult as that may be, because everyone will be standing back away from the person doing the counting, presumably. We should stand back and do something, because standing back and doing nothing is nothing answer, ladies and gentlemen. And anyone else tell you different is probably on welfare, for God's sakes. Plus we've got Pauline's catchy new slogan, delivered with inspiring passion and fervour. A vote for One Nation is a vote for Pauline Hanson. And I will say, the redhead you can trust. (laughs) <laughs> which, you know, is not technically a proper sentence, but, you know, who has the time? She was making fun of the Prime Minister's hair, people. she got to keep it snappy. <laughs> this isn't Pauline's first foray back into politics either. In March of this year, she was a guest on one of the most prestigious and legitimate political discussion forums in the Australian media, the ABC's Q&A. Sorry, I mean uh, the Carl and Jackie O Breakfast radio show. Sorry, I'm <laughs> always getting those two mixed up. Chad Carl, Carl and Jackie Hansen fearlessly waded into the same-sex marriage debate. When asked whether she thought gay people should be able to have children, Pauline responded, Look at the child. Have they been asked, You have a man, and then you have a woman. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Apparently mistaking the notion of good parenting for the hokey pokey. <laughs> All in all, ladies and gentlemen, Pauline Hanson's return to the political sphere is nothing but good news, all right? It's what democracy is all about. Everyone gets a go, like a really frustrating year eight athletics day. (laughs) And she ain't pulling punches this time around either. She's diversifying her campaign strategy. She's on the Facebook, she's on Twitter, and as she boldly proclaimed during a recent radio interview, she now knows what those young ones are doing while they're fingering their pads. Yes, Pauline? (laughs) Join us in our fervent fingering and let us all groan towards freedom. (laughs) But if Pauline wants to win, she's going to have to face a tough, biased, left-wing hippie media. Jackie O suggested that Hanson was clinging to old-fashioned views and pointed out that her generation won't be around in 20 to 30 years' time. Cool as you like, Pauline responded, and I'll be quite happy about that because I don't like the way the world is going. Expressing happiness at Pauline Hanson's eventual death? Now that's a policy Australia might be willing to support. <laughs> <laughs> rational
0: fear. and on a rampage. Wonderful stuff, Tom. What do you mean, crazy left-wing media? What do you mean? You, Dan, you! you what do you mean? <laughs> Okay, well look, uh, we're with Pauline coming back to politics, there is a buzz online brewing, and we found some of the most wonderful comments from her Facebook page and Twitter uh, from people who are just excited to see her back in the public sphere, including this from Stella Siaka. Stella writes, you were so right. Back in the 90s, about being invaded by Asians, they are everywhere. I feel like I've moved to Asia. <laughs> Well, that's a simple reason, seller. It's because you have moved to Asia. Uh, some people, however, have very mixed messages and we're unsure about the flavour of their bigotry, like this from Peter Malcolm Crawford. Why wouldn't illegal immigrants and bow people want to come to Australia when they see that we have the weakest legal system in the world? I don't agree with our legal system having female judges. They are too bloody soft. <laughs> You know I think uh, Peter Crawford would like? He would love a bit of Sharia law. That would really go down well with him. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. Someone who is on the, uh, on the same page as Peter is Kowloan the Chiro on Twitter. He writes, Happy to see Pauline Hanson back. With Clive Palmer and Bob the Hat, it's nice to have some bloody sane people in politics again. <laughs> Well, I'll take that as a comment. But uh, here are some of her supporters. They are full of ideas and they are, they are very happy to lend a hand as Andrew Glansley demonstrates on Pauline's Facebook page. He writes, What are you going to do to keep non-whites off the bus system? I am effing sick of it and I've had enough. Can we introduce a law that says you must be able to speak mother's English real good or you can't go on pubic transport? <laughs> Pauline's uh, supporters are eloquent. If anything, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic that they would be the greatest uh, re- receivers of the Gonski project. Um, but not all people have her back. Uh, Hanson certainly has her critics, like James King, who wrote on news.com.au. She is politician, not someone you hang out in mall with and gossip about latest. What are her policies? What is her platform? That's what people care about. Not this utter rubbish. Zero out of five stars. <laughs> A rational fear featuring the comedians not pale enough for celebrity splash. Hi, I'm Tom Waterhouse. I wasn't born to do advertising. I wasn't born to be a sports reporter. I was born to be Tom Waterhouse. And I'm Tom Waterhouse. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Lewis (laughs) Hopper. Oh, good evening. Um,
3: now, I'm going to talk about racism tonight. So, before we start, I just want to point out to anyone listening at home that I live in the inner city and wear 1950s glasses. So, if I say something that sounds racist, it's not. It's just a very clever and ironic parody of what a racist would say. I just want you to keep that in mind. Obviously, I should start by saying, racism is bad. Uh, if, if you're listening and you're not sure if that's true, Let me say this, racism in Australia has its own Wikipedia page. That's not a good sign. If it's on Wikipedia, it's a real thing. That's how I know there's an actual syndrome for people who masturbate by putting their penis in a vacuum cleaner. If you need to find a positive in our racism, probably the best you could do is in a time when we only win at sports that no other countries play. At least we're number one in the world at bigotry. When an Australian does a job, we do it properly. Ideally, that job will one day be acceptance. But for now, we're the fucking gold medalists of casual racism. Recently, Daily Show correspondent John Oliver called Australia the most comfortably racist country he'd ever visited. But I prefer the term casual racism. You know, formal racism is so uptight. And I I like semi-formal racism, it's okay, but I never know whether to wear jeans or slacks with my Australia flag cape. (laughs) Obviously, we're not here to find the positives in racism. There aren't any. What I'm interested in is finding the excuses. Ironically, Australia's excuses for racism are very diverse. (laughs) It's political correctness gone mad. They don't understand our humour. I didn't realise you made my favourite food. But I'd like to start with one of the excuses raised by Eddie Maguire after his comment connecting AFL legend Adam Goods with King Kong the Musical. I'm a responsible and experienced broadcaster. Right, I was tired this morning. I was tired this morning. Now, whether you're for or against that as an excuse for racism, you have to admit it's a fresh angle. I was tired this morning. Look, I understand, I only do breakfast radio two days a week, and that's still enough to know that you say some things at 6am that you wouldn't say at midday. But the idea that tiredness produces racism seems a bit worrying. I'm sorry, I was tired. When I'm alert, I can keep my racism at bay. But when I get a bit pooped, it just pops out. Based on this theory, the man we should be hiring for all anti-racism campaigns is Jeff the Wiggle. I mean, Jeff is well-rested. But I'm terrified of the day the Wiggles accidentally wake Jeff before he's had his eight hours. All of a sudden, it's toot-toot, chugga-chugga, the immigrants are taking our jobs. And if sleeping is key to reducing racism, I suggest we stop taking power naps and start taking some white power naps. Every day we could all have a little racism lie down. You could call it a siesta and no one would say siestas are for lazy Mexicans because we'd all be too well-rested for that kind of cheap stereotype. But I think maybe there is something to Eddie Maguire's point. When Australians let their guard down, that's when our racism sneaks out. I think that's why everyone's racist on public transport. Judging from the never-ending YouTube videos, it seems like buses are basically clan meetings that don't run on time. And it's, it's very easy to understand why. No one likes transport and no one likes the public. It's okay, you can admit it, people are the worst. It makes you so angry, you just need to attack a minority. Like this lady talking to a young Asian schoolboy on a bus this week. Sit down,
6: bro.
3: Sit the fuck down. Get a passport, bro. Get a passport, bro. I don't know why she thinks being on a bus gives her an excuse to be racist but she does ask him to get out his passport. Maybe she thinks that just because she's moving between two places, she's somehow in a bus version of international waters. <laughs> it's just a free for all with dogfights and whoring and hurling abuse at young Asian school children. But if that excuse doesn't do, do it for you, how about this little number from the same woman? Do the right to sit
1: here? No one can see where they're going, especially
3: when I'm drunk. Yeah, especially when I'm drunk. What a classic. The I'm drunk excuse. It's basically a get out of jail free card. Unless you're Aboriginal, then it's basically the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, John Oliver called Australians comfortably racist. And it's not just because after watching these videos I can tell you that racists love wearing tracksuits. It's because when people make these excuses, we let them slide. And I know now that having done jokes about racism, it's my duty to end with something poignant that deftly and succinctly summarises my points in a way that lets you know I strongly oppose racism. But I'm not going to do that, because hopefully I don't have to. And besides, I was tired this morning. (laughs)
0: Lewis (laughs) Hobart! Great stuff, Lewis. Now, Tom, you do breakfast radio. Do you regret uh, anything you've said on air while you've been tired?
4: Sometimes. I'm very tired. Sometimes I'm just tired of not being racist. And, um, I, uh, look, now I have an impeccable record. Uh, last year, technically, some people might say I had a bit of a furor around a Holocaust joke, but I'm a Holocaust joke controversy denier. And um, never happened. Never happened. Chris, you often look tired. Have you
0: ever done anything um, you regret while listening to Breakfast Radio?
5: Well, obviously I regret masturbating to the Frank Kelly program that time. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't regret listening. I I just, I, no, I don't.
0: I I regret asking you.
5: I just like being able to make Frank Kelly references on the one station where people know who she is. (laughs)
0: Now, why do do, do people film other people being racist on public transport? Why don't people just stop uh, stop the racism from happening? Step in.
1: It's this clicktivism mentality we have. Why would you condemn something in a person in person when you could boost your clout score with a viral video?
6: (laughs) Plus, also, they'll bash you. (laughs) I just think doing stuff is un-Australian. But, <laughs> but watching people do stuff. Now yeah. yeah, that's Australian.
1: Yeah.
5: Maybe they're all just hoping that one day, like Channel 9 commissions funniest racist home videos
0: or something. Like, they'll have so much material in the can. Um, now, since this is radio, I should let the listener know that we are quite. The listener, the, singular. Yeah, right. The listener. Right. Since this is Radio National, I should let the, the listener The producer know. sitting down is nodding very knowingly over there. <laughs> I just want to let the listener know that we are, a, in fact, a quite a diverse uh, panel up here. We have many different skin colours, from white to beige. Um, uh, we often see a lot of white people in the media trying to make sense of racism when things like this happen in the media. What, what, what is it that white people are missing on this topic? Melanin. <laughs> Lewis Hopper, well done.
4: Yeah, oppression, a sense of perspective, you know, just key <laughs> crucial elements that might be involved in determining whether something is racist or not. Well, Loving yeah. the show there, guys. Loving the show. I Loving I the, love the love show. That.
0: Well, thanks to Eddie Maguire's rant on radio. It's been doubly hard on the producers of King Kong the Musical who have their world premiere this week in Melbourne. Here's one clip from their recent radio interview with a very nervous theatre producer trying his best to not be racist, which in this climate is very difficult.
6: You're listening to The Green Room here on Radio National and we're here with Dave Starr, producer of the new touring stage musical of the famous film King Kong. Well, well, well
0: Sorry. Sorry. Eddie McGuire's made my job very difficult this week, so I've just got to be careful about what we say. So About what? About King Kong. Well, there you go again.
6: Don't want to be called racist. So. Okay, good. Right. <clears throat> Anyway, it's the classic story about a gigantic ape. A puppet, puppet, a puppet, a puppet. Oh, a very, very big, very large puppet
0: of an of an overly protective partner uh, who goes to uh, great heights to defend his love. The story begins on a mysterious island where the gora, oh, uh, the the protagonist is taken. I mean, stolen. I mean, um, given voyage <laughs> um, to uh, New York City and is forced into slave. I mean, into performing uh, for crowds. <sighs> lead role, it's a lead role. I mean, this is not some sort of uh, token uh, dancing monkey. Monk! Uh, he's, he's celebrate. Uh, not, not, not that that would be wrong. Uh, you know.
6: <sighs> okay. Alright, okay, Dave. So audiences will be familiar with the films that uh, the music is based on, I think.
0: Y- yes, yes! The story was last seen on the silver screen starring Naomi Watson, Jack Black.
6: Jack Black. <laughs> um.
0: Black, African American. Um... I don't think he is. Whoa, whoa! That's for him to say, and not, not me. But I would never even, I would never even dream of, I would never dream of that. Okay, Dave. Plans for opening night? Oh, big opening night! We're going to roll out the Native
6: American carpet. Um... <laughs> right. So this will be the first stage interpretation of the famous. Homo sapien. Heterosapien, or even, you know, let's not exclude, so... What uh, are you talking about? Look, look, all I can confirm is that
0: it's a musical about a famous city, and a woman, and a large thing,
6: okay? <laughs> okay, fine, sounds great. So, who wrote the show? Just a couple of opportunistic Jews, they... Irrational fear. Behavioural experts
0: are stunned, parents and police want answers, and three teenage girls may have ruined their reputations forever.
6: Hi, I'm Tom Waterhouse.
0: Did you know my name is an anagram for Tom Waterhouse? Well, it is Tom Waterhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, Cameron James!
6: There is no God. There is only Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I'm sure most of you know who Ryan Gosling is, or at the very least, you've heard his name whispered by every vagina in the world. (laughs) The last five years have seen the actor rise from the stars to join the heavens, becoming a mythological being I will from now on refer to as Godling. As with other divine beings, the meteoric deification of Godling is grounded in two things, a convenient backstory and really good PR. I'm taking it upon myself to separate the fact from the myth for you and in the process find out just how much media spin it would take for someone like, say, me to become a sex symbol. Let's start at the beginning. Like Jesus, pre-Godling Gosling was raised without a father. He was cast in the Mickey Mouse Club at age 12, the same age I might note that Jesus was when he began performing live. And from there, he began a career of kids' TV shows and Disney movies. But the transfiguration from childhood star to heartthrob came with his casting in the romantic lead role in The Notebook, a film that could have also been titled Hoes Before Bros. (laughs) This is where the godling package was first presented to us, you know, the sensitive, working-class, masculine vulnerability that seems to be the very reason the word swoon was invented. So is acting emotional the key to sex symbol success? When I watched The Notebook, I hated it because my life wasn't like that. But I also cried because my life wasn't like that, you guys. Oh, God. I just really want to know someone's heart. I'm sorry you guys had to see that. I guess I'm just sensitive. (laughs) Mm. Then there's his music career. He has an indie band called Dead Man's Bones. He sings in movies. Every second press shot of him, is posing with a ukulele, which just makes his biceps look bigger. (laughs) What? So he's a sex symbol just because he can half-play a few instruments? That just, that makes me so mad, you know? That just makes me so mad for the real musicians out there. I just, I feel so mad I could just, I could just
4: sing. I feel
6: mad I could sing. Sorry guys, I had to hear that. I just really needed to express myself. But it's not just emotions and tortured artistry, it's that Godling is presented to us as a man with the heart of a feminist and the cock of a misogynist. (laughs) I'm sure you guys saw the YouTube clip that went viral, you know, two men are fighting in a New York City street. Suddenly, a chest appears, followed by a jawline, and then the rest of a man that turns out to be none other than Godling Almighty. He breaks up the fight and stops the mortals from quarrelling over their petty concerns. Badass. And then again last year, he apparently saved some woman's life as she was nearly hit by a car. Badass. These viral stories added to the already building myth of Godling, painting him not only as a sex symbol, but an omnipotent doer of good, much like Christ's Good Samaritan or Buddha's whatever he did that was nice.
2: Mm.
6: It's kind of, you know, it would be really convenient if someone were to record me doing something kind of sex symbol worthy and it would go viral. I mean, we've got the equipment here. Maybe something will happen. Who knows? Let's find out. But the final step to his canonization started when the US Ratings Board gave his film Blue Valentine an NC-17, which is higher than an R, for a scene in which his character performs oral sex on his wife. So is it just the image of a man as a passionate and giving lover that makes him a feminist icon? I was discussing this with my girlfriend the other night after giving her multiple extended orgasms and... <laughs> after she got her birth- breath back, we, um, we both agreed that there was a little more to it than that. Godleben wrote a letter to the ratings board in which he renounced their ruling as patriarchal and sexist. The letter was conveniently leaked to the press just before the premiere of the film and just like that he's the face of feminism because he pretended to get angry that people might not get to see him pretend to go down on his pretend wife in a movie. (laughs) So that's the answer. That's how you become a sex symbol, by defending the rights of women through a publicity stunt. You see, it's funny, because if it was me, I probably would have just let my female co-star write the letter, you know, because it's her rights and it's her fight and it's her pretend vagina. <laughs> but then again, godling works in mysterious ways.
3: we are stupid! What'd you say? we are stupid.
4: <laughs>
6: you know what, fuck you! Alright, that's exactly the type of thing I'm talking about. This reductive, negative bullshit that men possess. You know what? I can't even bear you being in the room. Stand up and get out. Get the fuck out. You chauvinist, bully, alpha
4: male piece of shit. Fuck you, get out. Get the fuck out.
6: Sorry you guys had to hear that. I just really hate sexism. Hope it goes viral. James! (laughs)
0: And James! Yeah. <laughs> Rational fear.
1: Scientists, technicians and experts are now looking into the cause of the failure.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Taylor! Thank you. Uh,
5: now, uh, last week, like thousands of Australians, I was horrified by those pictures of a salami sandwich being hurled by a schoolchild at the Prime minister. ...of Australia. (laughs) Horrified partly because there was no satisfying money shot... ...of somebody slapping the PM's face with their salami. (laughs) But horrified mostly the utter lack of respect shown by this child... ...to a perfectly good sandwich. The incident was all the more sobering, knowing that this was the second time in as many years that Julia Gillard has been assaulted by a sandwich. And I'm sure I'm not the only person here tonight who fears this is just the tip of the iceberg. Sure, she survived the first two attacks, but next time it might be more serious. A full baguette blow to the head, perhaps. A pincer movement of pulled pork sliders, assuming for a second that hipsters could even bear to part with their sliders. Or an all-out foot-long sub attack hurled by an angry fatty when he discovered that his foot-long sub wasn't actually one foot long. It might not even be a sandwich next time. Heaven forbid she visits a school where Eddie Maguire's son throws a gollywog biscuit at her. (laughs) (laughs) But there are ways for Gillard to protect herself. In America, President Obama never appears anywhere in public without a protective shield of bulletproof glass. Likewise, Gillard should from now on surround herself at all times with a shield of seagulls to pounce on any stray food scraps thrown her way. Of course, coalition MPs have never really had this problem, have they? Joe Hockey and Amanda Vanstone were never happier when someone was throwing free food towards them. You try throwing fairy bread at Christopher Pine, and he thinks it's Christmas. <laughs> Even Cory Bernardi can tolerate the odd hot dog to the head. Just so long as you make clear to him that when you're talking about a hot dog, you are talking about a food snack and not a sexually attractive canine that you want to bend over and marry. <laughs> now... <laughs> We do go to South Australia, don't we, Dan? (laughs) Um, Now, at this point, um, I've I've actually just uh, made a note here that says, insert reference to the recent Game of Thrones episode here. Uh, I don't watch the show myself, but apparently it's mandatory this week for comedians to mention the Red Wedding episode every five minutes. So there, I've done it. I hope that keeps the HBO nerds happy. (laughs) Back to the topic. So what can the Gillard government do to send a message to the community that they're not soft on sandwiches? What sort of tough sandwich reforms can they look at to ensure there'll be no similar attacks in the future? Personally, if I were advising Gillard, I'd tell her to follow John Howard's lead after Port Arthur and introduce a sandwich buyback scheme and mandatory background checks on everyone who enters a delicatessen. You cannot be too safe, ladies and gentlemen, because this threat is much bigger than a lot of us might realize. Security experts believe sandwiches might even be the new frontier in the war on terror. They say Al-Qaeda cells in Yemen are currently developing BLT technology. They know for a fact that refugees and boat people have been bringing sophisticated flatbreads into this country. And recent satellite images over North Korea clearly show that Kim Jong-un's regime is very close to having mayonnaise. (laughs) On current projections, In five years' time, they'll also have beetroot. Can you imagine the damage North Korea could do with a beetroot salad sandwich? Or with a curried egg stink bomb? It doesn't bear thinking about. So I say to Julia Gillard, now is the time for action. Because if she doesn't get tough on sandwiches now, then she might herself soon become toast.
0: Waterhouse Tom Waterhouse like Bond James Bond but Tom Tom Waterhouse Now our interview guest tonight has traveled all over the world reporting from hotspots like uh, Libya, Afghanistan, Belfast. Uh, he's a journalist, a broadcaster and a bit of a fitness freak and now he's got his own TV show on Channel 10s called The Truth is. Hamish McDonald is literally and figuratively Channel 10's golden boy. Please give it up for Hamish McDonald. <laughs> Just doing the introductions This is, this is Hamish everyone This is, this is great. Hamish We've just moved on From Ryan Gosling And now this <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> Australia's second Most popular Hamish After Blake oh. how,
0: how do you feel To be Australia's Second most popular Hamish after Blake oh, Pretty happy Now as someone Who's worked all over The world as a bit Of a storyteller With organisations All over the globe What's it like Coming back to Australia To kind of see the way Things are still done here <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bit depressing <laughs> um, Oh, that's a really hard question. I'm sorry. I hadn't hadn't really thought about it like that, but uh, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity because there's a lot of stories that aren't being told. So for me as a journalist, it's actually pretty exciting. I feel like there's a lot of room to, to move. Um, I think here people tend to think that if you want to do uh, serious journalism, it's dull and worthy. And that if you don't want to do that, it's got to be, you know, pretty racy and tabloid. And I think there's a lot of space in between that. Yeah, i don't know whether that's true but i hope so well speaking of true the name of your show is the truth is why
0: why did you call it that and what is it about you that went yeah i'm going to do a show called This.
2: Yeah, uh, well, Darren Hinch hates the name. He started tweeting on the weekend about <laughs> how, arrogant, how arrogant the title was, which I, thought, which I thought was interesting coming from a guy who named his own program Hinch! <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't he have another show too, like the Darren Hitch show
2: that he had? A yeah, I checked his Twitter handle, and actually, his email address is hinch at hinch.net. <laughs> So yeah, the truth is, obviously, a pretty arrogant title. It's got a question mark on it, so I feel like um, you know that, that kind of gets me out of things. You can do anything with a question mark. You, you
0: can you pretty much defame anyone. I can say Chris Taylor loves umbrellas? Question <laughs> mark?
5: <laughs> Enough about my Mary Poppins fantasy. But, but don't you find when you do radio interviews, like the question mark's not there verbally? Have you got always got to, the truth is? Question mark on Channel 10
2: tonight. i just get really heavy on the inflection. The truth is? Is? Yeah, yeah the, the Australian up inflection. It wouldn't work anywhere else in the world. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, it was just more because I tend to go away on trips and come back and tell my mates about the trips and um, they seem to think the job's pretty exciting but they would never watch any of the programs that I've ever worked on which is pretty annoying and I find it pretty exciting going away to these places and meeting these people and stuff. So I wanted to make a show that reflected how exciting I think it is being there and how human the experience is being there. We tend to report most things here, I think, as issues rather than as human stories. And so I, I suppose I wanted to just create an environment where I could do that.
5: We, we hear a lot of sort of um, dire forecasts about the, the 10 network yeah. um, for, for whom you work. Are you trying to get me fired? No, no, no. no. <laughs> like, it, 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 you know, being honest, it's a gloomy period for the, for the station, and yet this seems the like... The truth is you're fucked. <laughs> The truth is, you're probably right. <laughs> the truth is, you've got Gina in your corner. But it, it seems to me this is a really um, ambitious project for them to throw money at at a time that they don't have a lot of money. Um, they must. Uh, how grateful are you for that opportunity?
2: Oh, Of course, I'm hugely grateful. I was pretty surprised that I got it. Um, it came about at a pretty funny time. I worked on the George Neger show, which, as you know, didn't last. So I had a contract, but nothing to do. So it might have been born out of the fact that I was just pretty annoying being out of, around the office. And...
5: Send her <laughs> to his... the Middle East. Yeah, why don't, to... they <laughs> <get> a, why <laughs> don't, don't they send the Sandra Sully off to the Middle East? <laughs> <laughs> why is it always the nice ones?
0: <laughs> how much... Uh, you do, do do some pretty grim stories, but you also do some pretty amazing kind of reporting from around the world
2: too. How much of those stories sit with you after you've come back? I suppose most of them stay with you in some way for a long time. Um, I think actually the disappointing thing when you go to tell stories about grim situations, it's never just grim. It's never a one-dimensional thing. There's always also, you know, even in the in the most sad, sad and tragic circumstances, there's always humour. And I feel like there's an expected narrative. There's a formula around news and how it should be told and the kind of, you know, the pensive look you're supposed to give and that you should never insert anything funny into, you know, a story about a tsunami. But I saw an amazing piece out of Japan during the tsunami. All gags. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A
1: whirlwind of fun. <laughs> but
2: this kind of crazy old Japanese dude turned up and was singing really bad um, Beatles music <laughs> in the middle of a completely flattened town Who's was just sitting there singing Yellow Submarine in very bad English. <laughs> Haven't and they suffered enough? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I kind of felt, for me anyway, I connected with that piece when I saw it. It was, it was um, from Channel 4 in the UK. You know, I'd like to think that maybe there's a little bit of scope there to... Um, push beyond what we expect the narrative to be I don't like the idea that as a journalist I'm just there to serve what people already think about a subject an acknowledgement that as journalists we're supposed to challenge what people think about you know any particular issue I think that's quite telling in episode one of your show uh, the truth
0: is which which went to air earlier this week you went to Chernobyl to hang out with a whole family who'd been living in the exclusion zone for the last 30 years that's that's doing exactly what you were just saying
2: uh, yeah, I suppose, I mean, we we tried to find topics where we could challenge conventional wisdom. You know, we all are terrified of nuclear energy, or, or at least nuclear disaster. And I think largely because of Chernobyl. But it struck me when I was in Japan that although there was a tsunami and an earthquake that killed tens of thousands of people, all of the focus, every phone call I got from any news organization in the world was wanting me to talk about uh, the Fukushima reactor, yet no one actually died as a result of the nuclear situation there. Um, So there was kind of a mismatch with the reality of the situation. So the truth that you conclude
3: from Japan is tsunami's very funny uh, (laughs) and uh, nuclear holocaust, not such a big deal.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, the the reality in Chernobyl was really different to what I imagined. I I, I didn't imagine a blank space on the map, but it's very green, it's very lush, there are people that... Very green, very green. (laughs) There's a lot of pie Especially faces there. <laughs> a lot of glow. The people look
0: radiant there. Just... Yeah. Uh, you've, you've done very well since you've come back to Australia. You are know, on the Negus program. You host the Channel Ten late yeah, news. Yeah, that, that was great. you your own show. I, like, yeah, I liked at one point how you started hosting the Negus program. <laughs> that was good. What is there
2: left for you to do in show business? Uh, well, you know, Radio National is obviously a big ambition. Yeah. Tick ah. that off.
0: <laughs> Is that all we are to you, <laughs> a box to is
5: there a th- I mean, what, what do you think about the like, making the report of the star? Because Channel 10 do clearly publicise you as the face of the program and they, and they did make a big deal of you doing the late news. You seem to have quite good journalistic integrity, but is that Same. difficult? <laughs> <laughs> is
2: that That's difficult,
5: marrying wrong. that with the expectations to build star reporters as opposed to just pure journalists?
2: I suppose I, I don't really think about it that much. Definitely I was really aware of it in this series because I pitched the bloody idea. Um, and you know, part of the pitch was was putting yourself in there as the vehicle for telling the story. And it was definitely for me a lot harder than I expected. I actually really hated the filming of it at times because I never actually thought about how much of my time I spend when I'm out in the field just standing back, standing behind the camera crew and, and just kind of observing and taking in the situation. Because you know, a lot of the time the situation is totally new for us. And then suddenly, when you've got a producer saying to you constantly, "What do you think? How do you feel? What do you reckon about this?" It's really fucking annoying. You know, there's, a, there's loads of there's loads of rushes of me saying to the camos, "You know, just fuck off and leave me alone for ten minutes. I just need to, I just need to digest this this situation." So it was a lot harder than I thought, and I don't know how I would feel about um, doing that again. Uh, but I think we got the balance. You know pretty good. Um, I, I don't think the story is ever about me or about... Are you shirtless in any of the stories. <laughs> um,
4: it's part of the balance, Hamish. It's part of the balance.
0: Tom, behave yourself. Yeah, sorry. Ways.
4: Sorry. I'm back to Cockturk. Sorry. Was there,
3: was there any pressure? It seems like a lot of people have been looking around for like the next Louis Theroux. Was, was there any pressure on you to be quirky? <laughs> uh,
2: no. Um, no, I mean... You can, I don't think there's ever any point in trying to emulate someone else. Um, I suppose you've got to play to your strengths a little bit and um, that's not one of mine.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Hamish McDonald.
2: Thank you, Hamish. A rational fear.
0: I lost interest
5: because it's not their first time launching a rocket. It's their usual show, so I didn't care too
0: much. Now, before we go, Michael Douglas revealed this week that he believed his throat cancer was caused by HPV virus, which he got from giving too much oral sex. He later came out to say he was just joking. So, unfortunately, though, the damage is already done. The federal government has launched a new public information campaign about the dangers of cunnilingus, and we're lucky enough to uh, have a listen to the first-ever uh, PSA of that. So let's, let's roll the tape. It won't affect me. I only do it socially,
3: you know. After a few drinks.
1: I only got into it because I was told it was slimming. I'm afraid if I stop now, I'll blow out.
5: I was 16 and at a party when some footy mates were passing it around. (laughs) One lick and I
6: was hooked. I didn't realise it was bad for your health till they started banning it in public. We will forced from pubs and clubs, but now you can't even do it in the street. I mean, where are we meant to do it? In the
4: bedroom? No, thank you. I sleep there. <laughs> my, my dad was mad for it. He went through like 50 a day.
2: The first time I tried it, I didn't like the taste, but I did it anyway. Performing cunning lingus is dangerous. Speak to your doctor today. Every vagina could be doing you damage. Call the click line now. The number's around here somewhere.
0: Now, next week on Irrational Fear, we have special guests from The Chaser, Chaz Lichardello, and star of Anchorman, Josh Lawson. Yes. But before we say goodbye, we want to leave you with what you should be scared about next week. So here is Alice Fraser with the top three fearsome fears.
1: The Game of Thrones finale will be ruined for everyone after someone leaks the plotline 13 years ago. A sports event will divide people, and they'll argue about said sports event, and then they'll forget about said sports event. <laughs> and finally, Queensland Premier Campbell Newman rejects the federal government's Gonski plan saying, duh, I don't need public education, I want pubic transport.
4: <laughs> That's it for restal Fear, it's produced by, Radio National, by Dan Illich,
0: McKinney x and DJ Tom Loud. This episode was written by Alice Fraser, Seaton K-Smith, Jazz by James Curley, Mark. Cameron James, Dylan Bain, Alex Scabbard, Ewan Hollysworth, Bennett
4: Ryan, Nefertone, Nino Yama, Liza Riley and John O'Lee. Thanks to our panel, Lewis, Alice, Chris, Cam, Tom, Hamish McDonald. Special thanks to John Copper and Darren Sanders, the Laughter Art CJZ and our boss Tony McGregor. Follow us at Arash of Fear on social media.
0: Till next week, remember, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! <laughs>